We, we need to develop a nation where, you, where you're free to, to express your views, even if other people don't like it. Mm. Which means that we need, to, we need to allow, like there's a case in Sydney that happened uh, two months ago where uh, Kyle Sanderlands, who's um, not someone whose lifestyle attitudes or pronouncements I would endorse. <laughs> he, he and his co-host have just signed a $50 million contract with a radio station in Sydney. Three weeks ago, he just said abhorrent things about Christian faith, belief, and Mary. Right. Awful stuff. And there were protests about him outside, and there was all these calls for him to be, to be sacked. I, there's no way I'm endorsing anything he would say. But I'd also say he's free to say them. Mm, and yeah. and that, 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 that's where it cuts both ways, that um, we, we are free to disagree with him. We're free to, to kind of make the point that he can't do it. But we're also going to say that's freedom of expression. Welcome to Captivate Podcast, everyone. You're with Mike and Andy. We're at episode 15. How are you this morning, Andy? Pretty good, Mike. Let me just point something out. You didn't say, hi, friends. Yeah, but just... because we're doing it differently. Yeah, but they're still our friends. Yeah, okay. Well, go should, again. We, should, we, should we go again? Go again. All right. Hello, friends. You're listening to Captivate Podcast. No, wait, wait, wait. Now you're just trying to be me. <laughs> you got to be yourself and still say friends. Okay. Go again. Hey friends, welcome to Captivate Podcast. There you go. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, I stuffed it that up. That was a good one. Okay, final Great. take. Hey friends, welcome to Captivate Podcast. You're with Mike and Andy. This is episode 15. Well, we have Carl Faze on with us today. Uh, he is a uh, media producer, social commentator, uh, works for Olive Tree Media, and um, produces a, a bunch of series that um, yeah, people might have heard of. So Towards Belief, Jesus the Game Changer, one, Season 1, and Season 2 is available for pre-order now as well. Yes, yep. Um, so it's really good to chat to him just about um, a little bit about Christian media, uh, a little bit about uh, general apologetics and, and where the world is at today, which kind of you know, uh, fits in with what his new series is about. Mm. So. I feel like we talked about a range of topics. Yeah, first. yeah. So I had a I list just... of questions that I wanted to ask him, and then we started chatting, and it was like a really cool hangout with a good mate. Yeah, you just talk about everything. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we yeah. So we better shut up, Andy, and uh, let the listeners listen to our interview with Carl Face. Welcome, Carl, to Captivate Podcast. It's great to have you on the show. How are Thank you? Thank you. Great to join you guys. How are you this morning? 
I'm doing great. Thank you. We, uh, we were overseas, as you know, for a while and uh, been back for a, a couple of weeks. And uh, it's, we're, we're excited about um, the bunch of things that we're launching at the moment. So it's a, it's a good time. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't you um, yeah, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, who's part of your family, all of that. Excellent. I'll try not to take the next 45 minutes in yeah. uh, giving you my background. Uh, look, I, my background is really as a Baptist pastor. So I, I, yeah. I ran uh, a fairly reasonable sized church in Sydney called Guymere Baptist Church. We did that for about 20 years. And uh, I mean, there's a few other things I did at the same time. Um, just before I get on to what we went on to do, I'm married to Jane, have uh, three children uh, married, and uh, they have uh, five grandchildren. So I'm a grandparent, which is an enormous yeah. surprise to me, uh, and a great joy, which is wonderful. So uh, we were in the church for 20 years. And at the same time, I did a few other things, um, you know, uh, in, across Australia um, in leadership and in media, but I was sort of dabbling in media. And then after being uh, in the local church for 20 years, just felt that under God, it was the right time to step out and do media full time. So we created a little organisation called Olive Tree Media. Mm. And uh, with as Olive Tree Media, we've been producing products that uh, and series that can be used both in local churches and broadcast. So our passion is in both those areas. Yeah, right. So how did you get into media uh, to start with? Oh, it's a good, interesting question. I, I spent five years in uh, Melbourne very early in my ministry before I came back to Sydney. We were in Sydney. And when I came back to uh, Sydney, I'd just come back as an associate pastor in a local church here at Guy Mir, where I ended up as the senior pastor. And there was a connection where somebody asked, uh, said that um, Christian Television Association New South Wales. Um, now, as a, this is, a, I'll try not to make this too long, but when they started television, they actually had statutory time for religious organisations. And in fact, it's 1956 television started with the Olympics in Melbourne. Um, that, and then what happened is that they were, they kind of said, okay, you've got to have religious time. And then basically every day used to finish with a little devotion um, on, on television back then. I'm told I wasn't around. Um, and, then, and then over the years, each state, because the, the, the networks were kind of state-based and each state had their own... Christian Television Association, and then they would kind of negotiate with their state network about who would do what on television. Now, over the years, that has sort of decreased. And by the time uh, when I came back to Sydney, and that was in the kind of mid-1990s, uh, they were still doing shows. And so uh, my, the first show I did was on Channel 7. It, uh, Channel 7 used to give studio time and airtime for free. So a whole studio, full crew to create a, a series of like 10 shows, 12 shows, wow. and then they air it for free as well. Um, now that all, so that was my, that's the kind of longer uh, answer to your question. So I was, uh, they were looking for a new host for this television show and uh, they said, do you want to want to do it? And I'm like, how hard can it be? I tell you now, what I discovered was a lot harder than I thought. You know, I, I, I did a couple of shows in the morning at lunchtime. I went downstairs where, the, where they, you know, the banks of computers. And I said, oh, can you play back one of the shows? And I'm watching them like, 
that's really bad. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, well, I, just, I came home to Jane and my wife and she said, how'd it go? And I said, it's really hard. It's very <laughs> difficult, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really tough just to come across where someone will watch it and go, oh, that's okay. That's actually really difficult to get to that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a baptism of fire. And, um, and then over the years, I did a few more shows. And then it really just developed out of that. And because I was doing some television shows, um, the radio station said, hey, would you do one-minute radio spots for us? So, you know, again, I started doing one-minute radio spots. I committed to do 40 because I thought that was huge. Yeah, uh, I've done over 900 of them. And um, yeah, so that's, they're used all across Australia and England and New Zealand as well. So that, that kind of just developed the whole media thing. And then from, from doing shows with networks, we then created our own shows. And yeah, it's been mm-hmm. great. So yeah. looking back at it now, uh, tw- 20 years of experience in media, did you ever think that this is something that you were going to do growing up no. as a young boy or... Oh, no, not at all. In fact, I remember a, a lady who's, who's a good friend of ours has since passed away. She's, she's, dear, she's a dear friend of my wife, Jane and I's. And, uh, and I remember when I was just in my last year in Melbourne, we were chatting and she said to me, um, you know, Carl, you should do media. And I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's going to happen, you know, because Christian yeah. media is, I mean, just media in general, but Christian media is a very small market, very yeah. small people. And it's, it's tough, you know, and the other thing is, it's, it's like it's tough to do well. Um, and so it's just, it's, and, it's, and the other thing is, it's tough because of, for a few reasons, but one is it's expensive. It's expensive to do well. So yeah. I look back you now when she said that to me, I'm like, well, who wouldn't want to do that? But, you know, where's the opportunity? Where's the finances? How's that ever going to happen? Yeah. And, you know, you know over, over 20 years, you know, God's allowed it to happen. It's been, it's been great. Yeah. Excellent. Fantastic. So what is it about being a, a media presenter or a, a commentator um, that fascinates you? Oh, look, what's fascinating, and that's, a, that's, an, that's a good question. What's fascinating is there's a, there's a few things that are fascinating. One is how do you take a complex issue and make it accessible? Yeah. Like that's, because that's what media is trying to do. I mean, if you watch a good doco, what's a good documentary trying to do? It's trying to take a, a, a situation, uh, an event, uh, a set of ideas, and they're trying to make it accessible to ordinary average people. Because um, often what we've done, especially in the area of, say, apologetics, is, you know, I, I've said, I say about apologetics, you know, it's a really, really important subject, and every... Christian ought to have some bit of an idea of apologetics. But when we start doing apologetics as Christians, we get PhDs arguing with PhDs. Yeah. And, and everybody, two, one minute in, everybody's lost. Nobody knows what they're talking about. And we need those people. But So how do you take those people, those ideas, and make it accessible to your average person in an interesting and engaging way? And I think that's what fascinates me. That, that's the challenge and, and it's, a, it's a joy to do. And so that, with the docos that we do, I end up doing a lot of interviewing. And, and, um, and even that's a really interesting process because a, 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 lot, of, a lot of people doing interviews, um, especially some Christian leaders doing interviews, it's, it's almost like it doesn't really matter if the interviewee turns up 
because they turn they talk so much anyway. Yeah. <laughs> they, they just they just talk about everything they know, right? Yeah. And that's the issue. And 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 I've actually come to believe over the last couple of years that interviewing at its best in the documentaries that we do and the particular style we do is actually a servant role. Like mm. you have to know a certain amount before you start the interview. Like if you don't know anything, it's a bad interview because you don't know what to ask. Yeah. But um, so you've got to know a fair bit, but in a way you're not there to pr parade your information. You're there to get the best out of the person. So it's almost like you have to, you have to keep them talking in a positive way. You've got to listen for the viewer and go, well, what, what is he saying that the viewer is not getting? Like, what is he saying that there's an assumed knowledge and I, I have to kind of ask some backup questions, but you're, you're actually in the role of the servant. You're, the, you're, you're kind of playing this intermediary between where you know your viewers are at and this brilliant mind that you're talking to. Well, how do you transition that information? And the yeah. way you transition it is get out of the road, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and it's, it's, it's that desire where somebody says something and you feel like saying, oh, I know about that. <laughs> like, I'm a smart guy. I'm going to tell you how much I know about that. And the point is, as soon as you do that, you kill it. Yeah. You're the one. You know, and so it's, I think that's fascinating. It's a really interesting process to try. And the other thing about the interesting process is to try and get it's that whole idea of how you get past the facade. Mm. How do you get past the image that somebody puts up? How do you help make them a bit more real and a bit more understandable and that people can kind of relate to? And, um, you know, I'm chatting to you guys in, in front of your bookshelves, which are very impressive bookshelves. But Thank you very much. They're actually not ours. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually using someone else's office. <laughs> when we did Towards Belief, we, we actually... We actually said, and we said this to all the guests, this is a bookcase-free zone. Yeah. <laughs> because every, every academic, guess where everybody always interviews them? In front of a bookcase, behind a desk. Yeah. And academics are hard enough to talk to anyway, but then you kind of create this view where everybody goes, oh, he's a really smart guy. Look at all those books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking about you guys. That's right what we're now. going for. That's yeah. right. <laughs> So, so I'm loving this, Carl. So this is like a masterclass one-on-one -on -one how to interview people. With <laughs> so let's see. If I, let's see. If I, yeah, thank you. Let's see if I learned something. Let yeah. me let me try and pick up on what you said before. Um, so you you get to travel the world. You get to speak mm. to scholars, PhDs, uh, intellectuals, very eloquent people, uh, experienced pastors, and you get to ask them questions about faith and apologetics, evangelism, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and then, you know, you do your interviewing thing, you then you edit and you come up with a content that you present to people hoping that this is going to be something that they yep. relate to. Do you ever get this feeling that, um, you know, you talk to someone who's really smart, you know, and what they're saying is just, you just know it's not going to connect, even though it's true, even though it's, you know, very well theologically informed, it's just not going to, if it's in yep. the area of apologetics, convince the skeptic or if it's in the area of, do you ever get that feeling? And what do you oh, do? Yeah, yeah. semi-regularly actually. And, right. and so, what, so what, what, one of the ways we do the interviews um, and which, which would help um, the listener uh, to your fabulous podcast understand how this works <laughs> is we, um, we actually run now a four camera shoot. 
So just for an interview with one person, one person talking of one person, we have four cameras running. Yeah. And what that means is that that gives us lots of opportunity to edit. So you can pick, you're not trying to, you, you don't want to try and make people say something that they're not by being clever in your editing, but it's trying to kind of get the best out of what they say. We interviewed a guy in India, um, I'll, I'll just, his, his name is Vishal Mengalwadi. He's written a brilliant book called The Book That Made Your World. Um, he's Indian, so English is his second language, and he knows too much stuff. And there was one paragraph that I really wanted to use for Jesus the Game Changer 1, where he talks about the first university anywhere in the world, which is in Bologna. Mm. And this paragraph was just kind of, because English is his second language, it was a bit of a mess. And um, my wife, who's, the, who's our creative director of Olive Tree Media and the producer of the show, she's saying to me, oh, Carl, you're never going to use that. It's, it's just all over the shop. And I'm saying, I'm, I'm sure we can use it. <laughs> anyway, we, we cut this paragraph, like five, four to five sentences of something he was saying, to within an inch of its life. <laughs> yeah. And um, it, it, it's, it's, you, no one would get it, but there are so many cuts in it, and it works. So sometimes you take a little, you, you really want this piece of information, so you've got to edit really closely. There are other times where people... They just, they just, you know, they're talking and then they just, uh, there's one guy in England, brilliant guy, lovely guy, but he would talk and I would be listening to him go, okay, I got that, got that. And then he would just dive and I'm like into, into sort of, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and, and so that's, you're trying to rescue that all of the time. So it's a, that's that bit piece that we were saying before about listening for the viewer. Because you're kind of going, okay, I, I can get what you're saying. But then there are times you go, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm. And, and that becomes really difficult. One of the things we try and do is do narrative, storyline. And storyline, if you can do storyline with information and intellectual concepts, people stay with storyline. They follow the story. And then it's, it's almost like they're gaining information through a story. And that helps. Mm. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. So um, just changing gears a little bit, um, you, I think with, with what, you, uh, what you do and what you put out uh, to the end user, so Jesus is a Game Changer, some of your, your other work with Olive Tree and that, um, it's very attractional in, in the sense that um, it looks good, you put a lot of work into it and all of that, all of that kind of stuff. And gen, the general feel... I think with, with Christian media is that it's a bit subpar. Mm. Um, how, like, I, I know that you put a lot of work into making it not subpar. Um, how important is that in your, um, in your business, I guess, to make it look really good? Um, and is that, I guess, is, is that the most important thing do you think um, as, as to what, what you're doing to kind of get yeah. the message across? Yeah, and, and the other thing, just as an aside, as we begin to answer that or reflect on those thoughts, is that there's a real mix of the way media is done now. Like, you know, yeah. there's lots of great media on YouTube where somebody's just hanging out on an iPhone. Yeah. And, and thousands of people watch it. So everything doesn't have to be highly produced, you know? Like, so, yeah. um, I mean, 
I mean, people say to me, oh, you should do more stuff on a selfie on an iPhone. I'm like, I don't do selfies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you said sorry. I don't do that. That's <laughs> not me. But um, so that there's there's a, there's a, there's almost a comment we need to make before it to say, if, if you don't have a twenty thousand dollar camera, you can still do brilliant stuff. And it's just it's, it's where, what's the medium and where where are you doing it? You know. So the whole YouTube iPhone, social media, Snapchat, all that. That there's lots of opportunity there. So you don't need lots of money to make engaging media in the area that we function where we're working in the broadcast world and we're working in a world where we want people to bring their friends so we're sort of in the we're sort of in the bbc the documentary mode that's kind of the space that we work in and so what we what we do is we we say we don't want any cringe factor we want your friends even skeptical friends to watch it they might disagree with the material but they can't just go oh this is rubbish media and, and one of the things that we're dealing with as Christians, um, this is a quote from somebody else that says, we live in a society now where excellence is only noticed by its absence. Mm, yeah, love that quote. In Western societies, you know, you don't go to the movies and sit down in the movie and go, oh, wow, it started on time. Oh, look at that. It's in focus. <laughs> you know, when do you complain? When, when things are excellent because you're just so used to excellence. Yeah. And the trouble with Christians is we tend to be a bit more of a family group, you know, it's a bit like the family gets together and shows a home movie. I mean, it's rubbish, but it's our family, so we don't care. Yeah. And we tend to function a bit like that and don't work out why other people don't function like us. And, you know, it's, it, that's just not the world people are in. So if they're, gonna, if they're going to watch something that's produced in a broadcast mode, not a YouTube mode, but in a broadcast mode, yeah. you, you need to work out how, you, how you're gonna do it well. And so therefore, things like how it's filmed, how it's framed, uh, how it's cut, how it's color graded, what the sound's like, all of that, you have to work really hard on. The other thing I would say on all of that as well is that often, often in Christian media, what we've done a lot actually, is that we'll do a half hour show somewhere, and in the end, basically, it's one person talking. Like, it's just one person. Mm. And, and they're talking a lot because that's what we're used to. We're used to sermons. And, uh, and then we think we've got to make this more interesting because that's one person talking. So let's film it in Israel. Well, still one person. Like, and after 10 minutes, they've forgotten you're in Israel. You know, like, yeah. and that's where I think we've got to. And I think if you look at some of the newish, like, say, look, look at the, the transition in something like Alpha. I mean, Alpha started as Nicky Gumbel downstairs with his wife in the front row doing his talks. Yep. Now, the latest Alphas are shot around the world with high production values. And, and it's, it, that demonstrates the transition. You, you want to produce something for people to, the general people to watch, you need to make it interesting in the sense you need to make what they watch interesting. So that's why we do multiple voices. We don't have anybody talk for longer than... 30 seconds to a minute before we cut to a question or cut to another guest. We work, we have a director uh, that drives me nuts sometimes. <laughs> we're setting up for an interview. We've got to set these four cameras up. You know, we work really hard on locations. Then we're setting the cameras up and halfway through the setup, I'm like, can we just shoot this? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but I never say that because uh, that's why it looks so good because it takes so long to set up. And yeah. all that stuff, 
it's funny, you know, it's all that stuff. We just, we don't, we kind of don't realize what we watch. So when you're watching TV and you're watching a good interview or you're watching a doco with a whole bunch of different shots, you don't actually understand the level of competence that's gone into those. It's a very different scene. Yeah, and I guess uh, it's about knowing your genre as well. So yeah. you're in a different genre than YouTube, right? Yeah. You're not going to be running around with camera and hides, skull face, whatever, because <laughs> it's not you. Right? That wouldn't work. Um, and also, uh, I guess it's it's about knowing your audience and, and who's going yeah. to listen to. And it's, it's very true. I think sermons are a bit like that as well. If someone preaches yeah. a really good, engaging sermon, you see them on stage, then you think, well, they just stood there and they preached. Yeah. But there's so much preparation that goes into this and and studies and whatnot uh, and we don't often see that Mm. yeah that's that's, you're you're absolutely right really in in any form of communication if it often when it looks effortless people think ah you know that was easy (laughs) you probably just made that up before you stood up and you don't realize there's hours of work to make it look effortless so um if 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 you're not ready, it'll often look like it's clumsy because you actually haven't prepared enough. Um, and that's, that's kind of true in most forms of yeah. communication. Yeah. So if I can just pick up on this again. So how long did it take you with your projects, uh, just the Game Changers, the newest uh, second season now? Uh, how, how long did it take you to, to arrive at a point where you sort of watch it back and you think to yourself, I am really satisfied with the quality. I'm really happy with how it's filmed with the yeah. quality of guests and everything else. Was it a very long process? Are you still getting there, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, look, we, I mean, one of the things about, for me, um, when I ran a church, this is answering your question. I, if you ask me about running a church, because I was head of a church, I, I could give you, you know, what makes kids' ministry work, what, what's important about music. You know, I, I, I've got, a, got some, for all these years of experience. When it comes to creating a, a documentary like Jesus the Game Changer, uh, I don't know most of what goes on. <laughs> so what makes the editing work? I'm like, a good editor? <laughs> How do you shoot, you know, that sort of shot? I'm like, you get a good cameraman. I don't. So it's, it's, it, so you kind of, tr- you, you learn to get a good team and to trust the team. That's, that's what works. I think when, when this is the third kind of major series, so we did Towards Belief, Jesus the Game Changer 1, Jesus the Game Changer 2. In each of those, you sort of grow in your experience. And so in a way now, when we start, we kind of know what we need. Like for, for Towards Belief, our editor, and for Jesus Game Changer 1, our editor saying, have you got more B-roll? And we're like, we've got heaps of B-roll. Yeah. And he's like, you don't have lots of B-roll. Now, B-roll is all the cutaway stuff. Yeah. So A-roll is the kind of people being interviewed. B-roll is, you know, when you're watching the news and those lame walking shots, and while it looks, it's now and then it looks a bit lame, but it, it's actually really important because you can't, otherwise, if you don't have B-roll, people are just watching people talk all the time. And, and for a good series, this is kind of almost going back to your earlier question, but it's still answering what you just asked. A good series needs breathing space. So when we watch Towards Belief, it's, it's like concept on concept on concept on concept on concept. And you don't, and people don't, so they, somebody says something important and then you're on to the next thing that somebody says. 
And what you, so when, when you put B-roll in, which is beautiful shots, walking shots, that sort of stuff, it's actually given the viewer the opportunity to breathe, just to kind of, it's almost like let that sink in. So you, you'll do three or four comments and then you get breathing space. So when you know that you need that for the series to work well, then when you do the interviews, you know, he's Jane, the producer, kind of said, okay, we got B-roll. You know, it's almost like you need this amount of time to do the interview, mm. this amount of time to do the B-roll. And, and then the other thing you're looking for in both of those is location. Like you want to, you want to shoot something in a space that looks like it matches what you're talking about and is visually, it doesn't have to be stunning, but it's visually interesting. So going back to getting to the end product and going, I'm very happy with that. Like I look at that and I think that's beautiful. You go back and you go, okay, we know we need for that product to happen. We need these guests. We need these locations. We need this amount of B-roll and this amount of time. And if you can put that together, you know, then you work with your, um, with the editor. And if the editor's got the material that he needs shot well, uh, that's when you end up with a brilliant product. Yeah. Good stuff. Awesome. So just before we change gears and to chat about something else, um, you've got, uh, Jesus, a game changer series two up for pre-order right now. Um, give us a bit of a, a rundown as to what, what that's about. You know, who, who's going to find it helpful. Who's, who's it f- made in yeah. with, you know, in mind, like give give us a bit of a trailer. Yeah, um, look, it, it, Jesus the Game Changer Two is uh, is slightly different from Jesus the Game Changer One in that in that Series One was kind of aimed at the seeker as well as for the Christian, but it's it's explaining the the how the life and teaching of Jesus changed the world and why it matters. Yeah, Jesus the Game Changer Two is aimed more at the church, and it's about inspiring the church, talk about Jesus to people around them. And we follow the story of, of, of Christian faith. Now, we just take for granted that the Christian faith is, uh, you know, it's the biggest, it's, it's the most pervasive uh, faith religion across the globe. Every, pretty much every nation right across the globe, every ethnic base. You know, it's huge, not just in numbers, but it's ethnic spread and it's geographical spread. And while we just kind of take it for granted, it's interesting to ask the question, so how did that happen? Yeah. When you think about, you know, Jesus, like, again, we say Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth was nowhere. <laughs> Nazareth was the, was, the, was the backwater of the backwater. I mean, Israel, you know, we, again, we center so many of our thoughts on Israel. For the Roman Empire, Israel was way out in the edge this odd group of people way out on the eastern edge of the Roman Empire with this idea that there's one God and a very big temple. Like, it was not on the radar. It was not on the radar of the, of the Romans. It was really... And then, then Nazareth was kind of a backwater of that. Mm. So how did one, one guy with just a few followers who did three years of ministry, we, we call it ministry, three years of, of public profile, who is crucified on a cross to prove that he's not a Messiah. 
how did that last a day after his death? Mm. Like really? Mm. And, and it, it's just the most remarkable story that it, not just that it survived 2000 years, but it is now the largest faith across the globe. Mm. That's a story that needs to be told. And we need to understand the kind of movements of that story because it's absolutely remarkable. So that what we do is we try and tell that story in bits and pieces and we try and go, so what are the key things that occur in that process? And what does that say to us today to inspire us to keep that story going? And there are some great stories. You know, we, we look at St. Patrick, which, is a, which again, sounds boring, but it's a remarkable, remarkable story. We talk about the, the monastic movement, monks going across Europe, you know, I've always seen monks for years as just, you know, blokes that need to get out more, like the hunger <laughs> hang like, you know, just the introvert types. Yeah. The, the monastic movement, quoting somebody else, won Europe to Jesus. Think yeah. about that. In the 1500s, when there was an, like the, six, the 1500s, the 16th century, remarkable period of time. Um, and, and it was a time, like we think today is a time of great disruption, right? You think about the, 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 the 16th century. You had the disruption of Martin Luther and the Protestant movement. So all of a sudden the church is now kind of split as it were. And that's a huge disruptor. Secondly, the invention of the, of, of the uh, Gutenberg press. That's like the invention of the internet. It's like huge disruptor. Ideas that could only be passed on person to person, or if you wrote a book, it would take you months to write it. Now there is material going across the globe. Added to that, the world explodes. Suddenly they're getting on ships and discovering America and China and India and South America. The, the world goes from Europe to the globe. I mean, it's actually, you know, not, I don't know how many times, it's, it's like exploded in size. In the middle of that, you have this group of people, 10 guys in university, and uh, they wrap around a, a guy called Ignatius Loyola, and they decide to start a company. And the company they decide is the company of Jesus. And we call them today the Jesuits. Mm. And they took the message of Jesus globally way before the Protestants ever did it. Mm. And in South America, China, Japan, India, they were there as it were almost, although India's, there's some discussions about that, but almost first. Um, those, those are the great stories, wonderful, wonderful, inspiring stories. And we need to learn them and gain inspiration from them. So that, that's a long explanation to say there, there's the piece. It's not just saying, oh, this is a boring history of the church. Here are great stories of outstanding individuals who changed the world and order inspire us to do the same. That's, mm. that's very exciting. And I think, you know, especially in the last few years uh, in Australia, but around the world as well, I think the church needs a bit of encouragement. There is yeah. a legacy. There is those stories that actually, you know, go back hundreds, thousands of years, stories of how the early church actually shaped and influenced society and culture and many things that we see today uh, yeah. directly. And that's what the Game Changer season one is about, I suppose, as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, interesting, can I just say, you know, we, in the West, that's true, that the church is under pressure, you know, people are a bit depressed, we're wondering what the future is. 
Two things to say about that. One, the place of the church in the West is not as bad as everybody makes out. It's, the sky is not falling in the way that most people make out. So there's, there is a, there's a growth in the nons, the non-religion, yes. There's, there's still a solid a number of people who, who call themselves Christians. I mean, Australians, six, six out of ten Australians will tick a box and say, I'm a Christian. Now, we, like, we don't think they're Christians because they don't understand faith in the way we do. But so, you know, we need to keep that in perspective. That's one point. The second thing is that in, in Africa, China and South America, the church is exploding. Hmm. There's never been more Christians in the world than there are today. The world has never been more religious in all faiths than it is today. And so the kind of the perspective we have is a perspective of the West where we go, oh, the world's, you know, it's, it's really bad, it's terrible. I don't think that in Africa. In fact, Africans, and this is the last episode, Africans are sending, Christ, sending missionaries to the ends of the earth. Yeah. Second biggest, the, the, the place where the second biggest, uh, the, the second biggest sending place of missionaries in the world is Korea, South Korea. So America is first in the Protestant zone. America is first. South Korea is second. And Africans are sending missionaries. So in the interviews I'm doing with Africans, they're saying, look, we see our brothers and sisters in Europe and, and they're in trouble. And now is our turn to serve them. Mm. So that, that order inspire and encourages. Mm. Wow. Mm. So that, there's a huge shift. It used to be the West sending missionaries everywhere else. And now we yeah. see the opposite. Yeah, I mean, it's a reverse mission and it's, you know, what they say, it used to be the, the, the West to the rest. Right. Now it's everywhere to everywhere. And that's the change in mission, which is again, encouraging. So what, what, why do you think in the West, we as Christians, uh, I'm not, I'm not talking about nominal Christians, but you know, Christians that we would uh, understand as those who are following jesus in a in a more sort of conscious way why do you think we are so depressed thinking that oh, in the west yeah look i mean i think uh, i i talk about this a bit where in a sense it's sort of the motivation to create jesus the game changer one you know if you go back a hundred probably if you go back a hundred years by the way as an aside you know people say oh christendom is dead well, christendom has been dead for a century for, for, a, for a millennia like so you know it's not about Christendom. Like, like let's, let's just leave that term aside. But if you went back 100 years, the church and the Christian church was quite central in, in places like Australia, America, England, Canada. Now, whether people were Christians or not is, is a bit irrelevant. It was a kind of central figure within the community and it owned a space in the community and people accepted that it owned that space. Uh, in Australia, in 1901, 96% of people tick the, no, uh, tick the religion Christian box. Interestingly, in 1950, it was about the same number. That didn't shift between 1900 to 1950. It changed in 1960. So the sexual revolution and, and kind of uh, the creation of, of the teenagers and, and the, the baby boomers, all of that, that changed the, the West a lot. And that from then to now is when the no religion kind of group has grown. And when you got into the 60s and 70s, certainly the sexual revolution, the idea that, you, you know, 
why would you wait till you're married and you know spread your love around and this is a great idea we should live like this this is fantastic and the church is still saying actually no then what happened was the community are going well the church is now irrelevant your morals are irrelevant your values are irrelevant you are irrelevant and so we've kind of lived with this idea that the church is irrelevant but then it's changed again in the last 10 to 15 years where it's gone from an irrelevant idea to a dangerous idea. Mm. And you, you think about the way Christian faith is talked about. It's this dangerous concept, this philosophy that's uh, a negative influence in our society. It's, it's bad for us. It's bad for our children. It's, it's oppressing people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so in, we're now in an environment where the church is not talked about as sort of an irrelevant group. The church is talked about as a dangerous group. And we need yeah. to remind people that the society in which we live, which is what you said before, was created in the fabric of that society, the values that make Western democratic free nations work are actually Christian values. And we need to remind people that, that that is not a dangerous idea. It made our society. Yeah. Mm. I guess that touches upon um, this whole idea of the freedom of, of, of religion or freedom of religious speech, right? What, what is it that we actually are free to, to say as Christians. And, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if you want to talk about this or not, cause it's controversial, but we've recently had this big issue in Australia with um, yeah. Israel Falau, a rugby player, made some comments yeah. on, on social media regarding his views on homosexuality, homosexuals. And I can't remember the exact quote. I, I don't think he quoted scripture, but he paraphrased a passage. Yeah. saying something yeah, about yeah. homosexuals these, these lists of people are going to hell as well and yeah. he listed homosexuals as, as that and obviously huge you know he lost his job in rugby australia huge huge deal um what i'm interested what do you think about how do we actually define uh today the, the religious freedom and what was oh, the difference between that yeah. and, and 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 persecution let me uh, let me answer that by telling you about william penn now, that, this sounds like a stretch. So you've heard of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania? Yep. Yep. Uh, Philadelphia is in Pennsylvania, in America, just north of Washington, D.C., just south of um, New York on the East Coast. Pennsylvania was set up by William Penn. William Penn had grew up as a, pr a Presbyterian in the 16th, from 17th century, 17th, 18th century in England. Then he became a Quaker. He became a Quaker in Oxford, at Oxford University, actually. Now, the intriguing thing about that period of time, to be a Quaker was illegal. Mm. It was illegal not, not to follow the Church of England in England. If you didn't go to church, you actually got taxed or fined. Uh, at the same period of time, there were two guys, I've forgotten their names, on the Tyburn tree and in uh, about 15... 60 or something, 1590s, who were hung because they were separatists, not political separatists, they were religious separatists. William Penn was sent to the Tower of London uh, for a period, extended period of time because he refused to be part of the Church of England. So William Penn in the, in the Tower of London is thinking this question through, the exact question you're asking. He's thinking, what is freedom? What is freedom of thought? What is freedom of conscience? What is freedom of expression? What is freedom of religion? Why does it matter? And he actually wrote a bunch of the things down about what he thought. 
Now, William Penn was very well connected. His family and his dad were incredibly wealthy. I mean, you think about this. He then gets given this massive tract of land in America for him to create a state. Yeah. <laughs> How bizarre is that? So he goes to America. He creates, you know, um, maybe humility wasn't his area because he created Pennsylvania. himself. <laughs> <laughs> But here's the deal in Pennsylvania. They were a pacifist state. So uh, um, they stood against the wars that were happening in, you know, between France and England at the time. Uh, they wrote a treaty with the natives. They just didn't come in and take them over. They developed a treaty and they developed a sense of a freedom of expression, of faith, of belief and religion. If you want to understand America, you've got to understand that people like William Penn, his name was John Williams at Rhode Island. And the people who first got on the Mayflower, they went to America because they were looking to create a place where they were free to express their belief and their faith um, where they could. And that became, now they didn't, they didn't always get it right and there was all sorts of tension points. But one of the, as, as uh, Robert Woodbury, one of the people we interviewed, the point he makes, one of the great statements about Pennsylvania is the Quakers, because because Penn was a Quaker, believed in freedom of expression and freedom of faith and religion. And two things to say about that. One is they eventually got voted out and they allowed that to happen. It's all very well to say, I'm open to freedom of expression and people disagree with me. Mm. When you get voted out and you accept it, that's when you realize whether you actually believe in freedom or not. Yeah. And the second thing to say is where was the, Declaration of Independence developed and signed in Philadelphia, in uh, Independence House. You can, you can go there, it's just right in the middle of Philadelphia. And it's, it's, not, it's not really a surprise in a way that what, what the experiment that was Pennsylvania of freedom of faith and belief became the experiment of America, mm. which worked. And it was built on freedom of expression. And, and people in America and people in Australia right now believe that that's actually something that's at question again. That do, are we free to express my, our views? And you know, hate, hate speech, hate speech is not speech that you hate. You know, it, it, I don't think anybody should be out there inciting violence. That's, that's quite yes. a different, you're not, you're not free to excite, incite violence, you're not, free to ask, you know, to, to create a situation where people are physically um, are at risk because you've incited violence against people. There, there are things that, that we ought to stand against, but the freedom to express your faith is central to free, democratic, liberal Western nations. It's what made those nations great. And if, that, if, if we lose that, then that becomes a huge issue. Yeah. Mm. And I, I guess the challenge is, um, you know, you, you might understand something as your religious uh, expression of your faith, like in case, Israel, in case of Israel Falau, that's his understanding. He's part of his faith is believing what he, how he interprets the scripture that says what, what it says about homosexuals. But then I guess the problem is some other party, say atheists, can challenge that and say, no, this is actually, we don't consider this as something that's only an expression of your religious conviction, we consider this as something that is directly attacking us because mm. perhaps we, you know, we have this lifestyle and we, we feel threatened by you making claims 
about eternity being a torment, eternal torment or something. So I guess it's, it's a very, very delicate balance, very fine line, I guess. How do we make sense of, how do we navigate this conversation? Look, I mean, it, it, uh, uh, we, we need to develop a nation where, you, where you're free to, to express your views, even if other people don't like it. Mm. Which means that we need, to, we need to allow, like there's a case in Sydney that happened uh, two months ago where uh, Kyle Sanderlands, who's um, not someone whose lifestyle attitudes or pronouncements I would endorse. <laughs> he, he and his co-host have just signed a $50 million contract with a radio station in Sydney. Three weeks ago, he just said abhorrent things about Christian faith, belief, and Mary. Right. Awful stuff. And there were protests about him outside and there was all these calls for him to be, to be sacked. I, there's no way I'm endorsing anything he would say. But I'd also say he's free to say them. Mm, and yeah. and that, 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 that's where it cuts both ways. That um, we, we are free to disagree with him. We're free to, to kind of make the point that he can't do it. But we're also going to say that's freedom of expression. You know, you can, you can, to be serious, you can beat your wife, you can do drugs, you can be a, you know, absolutely antisocial behaviour. You still get a second go. Yeah. Just don't quote the Bible. Yeah. And <laughs> seriously, this is rugby. It's a sport. Yeah. Belief and faith are not central to it. But we have a situation where people, there's a group of people saying, you can't disagree with this idea. And we're saying, actually, yes, we can. And we ought to be able to. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. No, fair enough. That's, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I think it's very humbling in, in a sense you've, you've kind of pointed out in the sense that if we have freedom of expression, you know, as, yeah. as, a, as a Christian group or um, as a, you know, another group, a group that plays rugby, for example, um, you know, that means other groups have freedom of expression as well. And yep. you know, as, as you mentioned with, with Kyle, um, you know, while you disagree with him, you're free to disagree with him, but while he's also free to say what he yep. wants, um, that's, that's the, that's where the freedom yeah. you know, happens kind of thing. Yeah. Can I just make another point in this? And yeah. I think you know, for anybody listening, I, I'd want to put a caveat on this. The question, the, the other question to ask is, so do I or other Christians yeah. agree with the tone of what Falau said? And I'm like, no, I don't. Like, I, I don't, in a way, I don't endorse what he said. I don't, I don't think that was wise and thoughtful. I don't think it was particularly loving. Uh, yeah. I think, I think he was motivated. I think his motivation was good. I think he's a, for my, I've never met him. I know people that know him. He's a decent guy. He's a good-hearted guy. He, he just loves Jesus and he wants to be clear about what he believes. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't the best thought-out post. Right? And so, the, you know, you, you don't get sacked because you don't think out your post particularly well. You know, like, it, mm. so we need to be thoughtful. I mean, the, the idea that, that Jesus stood for grace, kindness, love and care for people. So... Whatever we post needs to sit in that. That doesn't mean we change what we believe, but we need to be thoughtful about how we communicate what we believe. So mm. there's this sort of tension point between knowing your beliefs, believing something clearly and completely, and being wise in how you communicate. Yeah, it's all about the tone. Yeah, it comes yeah. back to kind of like what we we're talking about with your work before the attractionalness of it. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
you know, not, not that, you know, some of the, the hard challenges of Jesus need to be attractional and shouldn't challenge us purely because we're making them, you know, wrapping them up and kind of making them easy to palate, but they still should challenge us, but they should challenge us in a way that's loving and encouraging. Yeah. Is, so, it, is that what you're kind of saying? I think, so. I think the other thing too is we need to be a little careful about how we, how we communicate and portray Jesus. I mean, they, yeah. it's very popular these days to talk about that Jesus was only ever kind to the, the sinners within the community, ate with the sinners, which is true. Yeah. Um, and the only people he ever attacked were, attacked were the religious people. And the people who don't like Jesus were the religious people, and which is a narrative that gets used a lot now. Yeah. I've been challenging people over the last couple of years to read John chapter 6. Just read that. It's, it's like it's long. So it's about 60, 70 verses. Yeah. Yep. And what happens is that the key thing about John chapter 6 is Jesus fed 5,000 people before. Then in John chapter 6, they all chase around the lake to find him. And when they find him, Jesus' response to them is, you're not here because you're looking for a Messiah. You're not even here to see a miracle. You're here for a free lunch. And that's not good. And then he goes on to teach some really strong stuff. Now, can remember, this is not to religious leaders. This is not to the Jewish leaders. This is not to the Pharisees. These are just to average people. And if you get to, I think somewhere around the verse 60, you see that they kind of, there's all these people that go, this is too hard. Yeah. And average, normal people, not religious leaders, basically say, we, we, this is too hard, we're going. And they start to leave. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you're going to leave as well. Now, let's, you know, I tend, over the years, I've just kind of read over that. But here are these 12 group of guys who've given up everything to follow this Messiah. Mm. And now he's taught, saying things so strong that nobody wants to follow him. And all these people are leaving. And he says, so you're going to go as well? Peter says, where else do we go? You, you have the words to eternal life. Not, you're the best show in town. Not, hey, we're loving you and everybody loves you. Not, you know, we're feeling really good to be here. You have the word to eternal life. And so I just think there's something we should be reminded of that, that Jesus just wasn't this warm, fuzzy guy that everybody loved. He yeah. actually had some hard things to say that not just the religious leaders, but all people found difficult to, to, to follow and to understand and to walk with. Amen and amen. I feel, feel like we need some B-roll to kind of let that sink in for people. <laughs> and we can, perhaps we can whistle a few tunes. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we've got to cut to a nice, uh, nice view overlooking Jerusalem or something. Yeah, yeah with, a, with a walking scene. Yeah, that's it. That's what we need. Sunset somewhere. <laughs> cool. Well, I think we are slowly coming to an end yep. of, of our time. Thanks, Carl, for hanging out with us. It was just uh, fantastic to to get your insights on on quite quite a few things, range of things. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Mike, do you want to say anything else? Final closing thoughts? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I think there's a lot lot for people to kind of um, mm. think about and, and chew on that you you've kind of 
brought up for us. I don't, yeah, I don't think it's all been answers. I think it's been very, um, yeah, thought provoking in what you've, uh, you've shared yeah. with us. And, and well, it's great to chat to you guys and, and, and we really hope people will uh, use the series. You know, it's not, this is not an economic thing. It's a passion ministry thing. Yeah, we, yeah. we want them to, uh, we, we're doing a church campaign next year. So in 2020, May, 2020, there'll yep. be lots of churches across Australia doing it in their churches. And we want people to do that. We want to, and we want to inspire and, and build passion for mission and evangelism because we need mm. to do it as a church. Yeah. So just before we let you go, Carl, how can people find you? Um, online and how can people get get to the website and is there a website i, th I think there's a website that people can go to olivetreemedia.com.au so if you go to olivetreemedia.com.au everything's there all our series are there contacts there uh, background everything you need uh, keep in mind too if you're doing jesus if you're doing any of our series like towards belief jesus the game changes season one or jesus the game changes season two just to remind people, if, you, if you're doing it in your church and you go to those that's that those pages, or lots of other stuff are there. Not so much for season two just yet, but season one invitations, powerpoints, um, or, or everything you'll need to to do something with Jesus to game change or towards belief is all there, all free, all ready to download. So be sure you be sure you get there and use some of that material because that's it's great to use. So I would dream media. Excellent. Part. Fantastic. Thanks, Carl. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, you guys. Well, that's the end of our interview with Carl Faze. We hope you enjoyed it. And we hope you'll join us next time on Captivate Podcast.